Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Open Observability Talks. I'm your host, uh, Dotan Horvitz, and here at Open Observability Talks, we talk about anything DevOps, observability, and open source. For those uh, following the uh, DevOps Dozen Awards, uh, we're on the finalists for Best DevOps-Related Podcast. So uh, thanks a lot for everyone who uh, voted us in and uh, supported us, uh, now waiting to, uh, for the final results to come. I'd like to also thank our sponsors, Logs.io, the cloud-native observability platform. Logs.io uses the best-of-breed open-source projects such as Prometheus, Elasticsearch, OpenSearch, Jaeger, OpenTelemetry, and so on. So thank you very much, Logs.io. And for those joining the live stream uh, on YouTube uh, or Twitch, feel free to share questions and comments on the chat. It makes it uh, much more fun to engage. Uh, so do uh, do that. And with that, let's move on to today's episode. And today, uh, we'll talk about SaaS observability. So many of us run a SaaS product, uh, and these system, systems have common characteristics, like supporting uh, PLG, product-led growth, and pay-as-you-go, and, and many other things that are needed to move fast and, and agile. And observability plays a key role in enabling that. And that is going to what we're going to uh, see and how to do it right today. And for that topic, uh, I invited Aviad Mizrahi, uh, the co-founder and CTO of uh, Frontag and uh, a software architect in Seoul, who's seen dozens of uh, SaaS customers across the industry. I'm sure he'll provide us with uh, many insights around that. Hi, Aviad. Hey, Dotan. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here on the show. Uh, so, Aviad, you're, uh, you've seen so many uh, um, you know, SaaS uh, systems. You've been part of that as in-house and also uh, customers uh, uh, throughout the years. So maybe you can uh, give us your take and a bit of your history and about Frontech, your, the company you founded, and maybe the industry trends that uh, brought you to uh, found this uh, startup. Yeah, sure. So we founded Frontech uh, two years ago. Uh, my awesome co-founder, Sagi, which acts as the CEO of the company and myself. Um, and we basically met a few years late, a few years before that in uh, uh, one of the biggest uh, cybersecurity companies out there called Checkpoint, um, where we had the privileges and, and, and honor of building a, a SaaS platform which basically accelerated the, acceler uh, accelerated the cloudification uh, motion in Checkpoint. So in Checkpoint, we had so many uh, on-prem products uh, and we needed to move them as fast as we can to the cloud. And instead of rebuilding the entire stuff again and again and again, uh, we basically built a platform that was the SaaS platform of Checkpoint and basically helped our customers engaging uh, and moving, migrating to the cloud much, uh, much faster and much easier. And you know, and when we and when we left Checkpoint, we basically discovered that the the problem and the issue that we had in Checkpoint, where you want to have a rapid uh, go to market, you want to bring your product as fast as you can to to the market, is not something that unique to Checkpoint. Uh, on the contrary, basically the same thing happens to all of the startups out there where you want to move to the cloud and move to a SaaS model as fast as you can. You want to bring revenue as fast as you can. 
uh, and we'll talk a little bit about maybe uh, some of the pricing models that needs to to adapt to uh, the observability needs to adapt to them. Uh, and basically, what we did with setting up Frontech is we built a platform for SaaS applications, which basically deals with user management flows from sign up to checkout, where all the analytics in the middle uh, takes care. So, so yeah, so that's what we do. Um, yeah. And I think you mentioned uh, these these trends that obviously are not uh, unique to uh, to Checkpoint. Uh, many companies there that uh, face these models and uh, need to uh, move fast, need uh, to support uh, delivery rates. You know, we're talking about agile and, and the continuous uh, delivery uh, models. We're talking about you mentioned consumption based modeling, pay, pay as you go, and, and similar like that. So, how do you see these uh, uh, trends in the industry? Uh, playing a role in in the in the requirements that we have and they were facing today yeah so this is what fascinates me in my position in frontech because i meet so many startups and so many you know potential leads customers uh, around the industry in like different aspects of the industry deep tech and non deep tech uh, um, and basically all of them needs to go uh, and to set up their, their basically their product, their, their beta product, their alpha product as fast as they can. Uh, and I think one of the key, uh, key aspects that we see um, in terms of agility is that you want to move fast, you want to you wanna set something up, and, and fail fast is, is something that we see uh, repetitive in the, you want to you wanna put something out there give your customers tryout, listen for the feedback uh, and monitor their feedback uh, by different tools. Uh, and we can we'll touch base on these tools uh, in a bit. But basically, once you put it out there uh, and you let customers experience with that, uh, that's the best feedback uh, that's possible. Uh, and, and that shortened the, the, the delivery times for all of the all of the the newer products that we see out there this is where uh, this is where we see it yeah definitely so you know at a, being the master architect of, of frontech and seeing so many uh, customers maybe we'll start by before even observability just how does the common saas uh, in terms of the technology stack uh, look like today yeah so so in terms of stack if we if we look at it from an architectural point of view so obviously microservices is the new monolith. So <laughs> nothing is built on monolith anymore. Microservices are, are uh, the, new, the new way to build products from, from uh, obviously it brings some, some struggles for the developers in terms of deployment and that kind of stuff. But you, you, even if you build like an MVP for, I don't know, showcase for, for investors, once you go live, you go on a microservices uh, based, and that ba basically removes the burden of which which language do you develop with, which which framework are you using. It. So you you choose the right tool for um, for the right job. Yeah. We see a, a little bit of differentiation between the type of companies. So so if you go to the deep tech companies, the ones that do AI. So they would normally use Python even for their web development because that's what that's what the developers feel comfortable with. 
Um, we see a lot of Node.js on the backend for frontend uh, deployments on the web on the web uh, applications. Um, and other than that, for the compute intensive, we see a lot of Golang, which uh, acts as the new king now. Uh, and some still work with Java and uh, and even .NET Core. So, so yeah. You, you're being modest, being saying some. I think that uh, still Java and .NET, at least from from my uh, you know users and and customers and engagement, still .NET and Java have their own place in the definitely in the backend realm. But uh, yeah, uh, Go seems to be picking up very nicely, and uh, it's interesting to talk about the, like the distinction between the data oriented uh, yeah. uh, startups where the, the the Python is so so uh, so dominant, rather than uh, the others that have uh, a different uh, uh, mention. And maybe you should mention that uh, maybe Kubernetes is also probably. Uh, I see that. I'm sure that you see it as the yeah. the framework to enable the the containerization and the um, and the, and the uh, microservices. Yeah. So so most of the most of the uh, of the companies we work with are using Kubernetes, obviously. Um, you know, we even have a hybrid deployment where we we allow customers to install uh, our our solution on prem, uh, and our you know our deployment is is based on uh, on hybrid charts, and and no one said anything because Kubernetes is is the new is the new startup. So a new standard, and it's uh, independent of the underlying uh, cloud or on-prem. So it's uh, it's really uh, a cool way correct. to uh, to provide deployments that are independent of that. That's uh, correct. That's great. So, so now that you understand roughly what the uh, the stack looks like, and I, I agree with you, it's it's pretty much also what I see uh, in terms of the um, uh, the common stack in in uh, SaaS uh, businesses and SaaS users. The question is then now what uh, which observability. Is uh, is needed in in such uh, over such stacks? Wow! So so obviously um, there is the infrastructure observability and the application observability, which can be different and and should be different, and and the stakeholders for these are different. So if we talk about Kubernetes. Uh, so the infrastructure and and the cluster observability, uh, we see a lot of Prometheus uh, taking care, uh, like dominates this uh, this uh, observability today. Um, but that's a thin line because the the Prometheus basically acts as, as what we call the, the, the bridge between the developers and, and, and DevOps, because oh, I can tell you a little bit about the way that we do it. With, in Frontech, basically, every flow uh, in the definition of done has to go through a specific counters that the, that the application developers has to add. Uh, and we add counters on this for the Prometheus and Grafana dashboards. And, and that's, you know, that's like the thin line because when we just start with Kubernetes, uh, obviously, it's very easy to take uh, the pod, the analytics, and and put them out there, and 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 you know we go to the to the head of DevOps and say, well, this is yours, uh, and he say, yeah, it used to be not mine, but now add your application metrics so we can see what led to this spike of CPU or to this spike of uh, of memory. Uh, so Prometheus uh, acts as a, as a great uh, great. Uh, Way to collect observ observ observability from uh, uh, the cluster, 
And then we go to to the developer log. So it's either FluentD collectors or any of them. Uh, we we are uh, we are using logs for uh, logs IO for uh, for pushing all the the developers logged into. And there are, there are a lot of other uh, options as well, but the correlation between and this is what uh, the microservices uh, brings into the table the the hard thing about microservices is the, that you have to correlate the logs yeah. uh, and you have to build the entire you have to build the framework in uh, so we have Jaeger on top of that but on top on without um, even without Jaeger there is there is a, a struggle to put a, a trace ID that goes around the microservices and basically helps us uh, identify uh, issues. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very common pattern that uh, that I see in the industry. Uh, the correlation is, is becoming increasingly uh, crucial. So uh, you know the, the very basic uh, pattern is around obviously putting the trace ID as part of the logs. Some take uh, take it a step further and, and build, bake it into the uh, to the observability framework. For example, uh, at Logs.io, we, we made it uh, an inherent correlation that can in one click switch from one to the other. But uh, you know, move, so some some have it uh, in, in one way or the other. But it's important to understand that uh, um, it's no longer enough to just look at the metrics or look at the logs, and, and you need the correlation and um, and I think going back to the SaaS challenges, I think SaaS more than anything else, uh, just look at the outage, the AWS outage, uh, three outages actually in the, in the yeah. past month uh, or, or so, and, and taking down so many uh, SaaS companies, uh, very high profile ones. Uh, so the availability to begin with, obviously, and the uptime, and then the, uh, the quality of experience, the having responsiveness and low latency are crucial uh, to my, in my view, for uh, having a, a successful and competitive uh, uh, SaaS uh, product. And uh, increasingly, as, as the users become more accustomed to having this sort of level of uh, uh, service level, let's say, uh, you, you're expected to do that. Do you see similar from your customers? Yeah, obviously. So we are, um, if we are, so Frontech basically provides as part of our user management platform, uh, when our customers integrate Frontag into their product, basically that's the way, Frontag is the way for their customers to log in into the product. So if we are done, if we are down, basically, if we are out, none of our customers and none of our customers of their customers can basically <laughs> log into the, uh, yeah, that's the B2B2B model. Um, yeah. So none of the none of the, the end users basically can log in to, to the product, which, basically um, takes the entire uh, idea of being up like one step farther. So, so yeah, so we work on uh, all, all the time on multi-regions. Uh, the, the observability here for us is crucial because we, we have to know ahead of our customers that something is wrong in order to switch to another region, in order to switch to a hot, uh, hot uh, cluster that we have waiting uh, that kind of stuff, we have to be aware of that. Um, so we have all kinds of uh, ways to to basically monitor that. We have uh, a system of developers on call that 
wait and see uh, and get alerted basically by tools like Ofgeni if, if something is wrong. Even, even a simple uh, internal server error in the system basically wakes us up in the middle of the night. Uh, and that's as crucial as, uh, as it gets for us uh, because, you know, yeah. the quality of service in that kind of uh, infrastructure needs to be spotless. Yeah, I agree, and it's funny. I had uh, I, I had the privilege of hosting, uh, you know, a senior SRE uh, from Google uh, was in charge of all their uh, identity uh, services, and he was talking about the same challenge, saying, yeah, "If if my if my services, my microservices are done, no one can log into the Gmail or Google Cloud or Google that's, account." So uh, that's that's you're you're in the central point with the Frontech. But then again, you talked about how you work and the developer having to, uh, the, part of the definition of done is to deliver the specific metrics. And what we do at Logs.io, obviously, it's very similar. We need to, each developer needs to expose uh, the, uh, in my company, uh, as a standard part of the, the sprint and the delivery of that, uh, of that feature is the metrics and the, uh, the uh, relevant observability for the, as we said, the availability and performance of the, of the, application. But then again, there is also uh, additional aspects that the product manager defines as part of the feature, uh, additional uh, types of observability that serve to understand maybe higher degrees of, of the uh, how the feature performs in terms of the KP, the product KPIs. How, how much was the usage, how many opened, how many engaged uh, with uh, different CTAs, calls to action, and obviously it can go uh, further and further. So, uh, and, uh, and again, so we, as part of the, the product definition, you also have the section that the developers need to expose uh, mm -hmm. metrics, let's say, to uh, amplitude uh, uh, events or maybe to other types of user events and so on. I'm curious to hear what kinds of, of other additional observability uh, you, you encounter. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I only say one thing about that as a founder of a company uh, that, you know, when we talk about new, the new generation of products, we keep hearing the word PLG and bottom up. Uh, so, if you know, I founded Frontech uh, two years ago. I think one of the first um, uh, infrastructures that we added was Logs.io. Uh, and we, we used the community version for, I don't know, six months uh, before we turned into a paying customer. And this is what PLG is. You start using it, uh, uh, but by the time that you are using it, this is very important for me as a founder to know who are my freemium customers, what, what is their engagement level with the product, uh, how soon do I believe that they can be converted into pain or are there a freemium forever users, okay? Um, and this is so important uh, to collect the metrics from. So there are all kinds of metrics. Uh, and I keep telling, um, you know, when we talk about it internally, 90% of what happens in the product usually in products uh, which are a little bit deeper uh, or infrastructure-based is happening behind the scenes, right? APIs. So, so when you start, so you have a user which is signing up to the product uh, and you want to see what exactly they are doing, where do, where do they hit, how, do they, how did they get to the product, um, 
And basically, when you take a look at that, tools like Amplitude, uh, Mixpanel, Hip are perfect because they, they'll give you basically on a user level the funnel that they, they went through. Uh, and this is crucial for products. This is crucial for UX developers because you, wa you want to make sure that the experience that your product is giving to them is spotless. Um, but once they sign up, basically, uh, and start engaging with the product, if your product is providing APIs, so the entire movement goes to the backend. And then you want to make sure that basically the observability is happening on the backend side. So there, there, there are a bunch of tools today uh, that identify this problem uh, and providing you with API observability, API calls observability. Um, but there the issue is, how do you handle accounts? Right, so to the, in today's world, every user can belong to multiple accounts, and then you want to have aggregated views, and then the problem goes deeper and deeper and deeper. So eventually, what we did uh, is integrate with tools like um, like Mixpanel and like Heap uh, to collect user analytics. We even have uh, tools that record sessions for us to see uh, tools like Full Story. We are using Smartlook. Um, to, to record basically sessions and to see what exactly is going wrong with the session, where uh, you know it's uh, it can be really addictive to, <laughs> to watch sessions of users uh, because you keep watching it and watching it and you you know so one day you see two users stuck on this screen and the others uh, and you say well we have to change this screen but then uh, one day later they're, they're stuck in different screens so you. Uh, so I, I prefer the aggregations, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then on the API, it's, you know, take a look. Uh, if we take a look at Frontech, for example, and I think Logs.io has the same issue. Um, we work in environments. So we have dev, staging, and production environments. And, and in some of the cases, we want to we wanna see the aggregated view of all of your APIs in all of the environments. Uh, and if I go to Logs.io, for example, so in Logs.io, I have... All, I, four or five regions already, uh, split it into staging, US, uh, AWS, Azure. Um, and, and, and you know, in one place, I want to see all of my usage as front-end uh, on all of my, uh, all of my, all of my regions. So how many, how many logs I ingested and that kind of stuff. So, so that brings basically a, a, a little bit of co complication into idea of, Collecting uh, collecting metrics as as an organization or as an account. Yeah, I think what what you bring up is a is a very interesting point because you know in on this uh, podcast in many discussions we talk about the let's call it the developer or the IT uh, uh, signals around blogging metrics traces, but then again there are um, additional signals. Um, that are around, as you said, it could be signals coming from uh, Amplitude or events send, sent to Amplitude that are designated for that. Mm -hmm. It could be uh, signals coming from uh, even you know, customer support uh, types of channels and, and other uh, inputs that can come. And the question is, uh, and, and the need to build a broader observability and also observability that serves additional personas. So uh, obviously the, the engineer will need to ultimately implement the, uh, the, the instrumentation to get this, but 
Then again, it doesn't serve the end customer. It may serve the product manager to understand if the feature is being used as expected, both in terms of velocity, in terms of uh, flows, and 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 uh, and so on. It could be. It could serve the UX designer to check to validate uh, the, 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 some sort of uh, decisions on the UX side. It could be even business decisions, understanding if, for example, a very interesting uh, um, use case that uh, I heard from uh, from one of my customers. Uh, it's, it's a company that uh, engages with uh, uh, payments around the, for restaurants. Um, uh, I think I can I can mention the name Tabit. Yeah. They, they yeah. mentioned that, so, uh, uh, and and you know, so they they need to track. And uh, for them, uh, it's a rule of thumb saying we don't release a feature before it's fully instrumented, and and we can have a full full observability. If it's not managed, it doesn't go to production. And uh, things like uh, okay, how many uh, e-payments were were performed, or uh, you know, uh, if if the the people in the restaurant leave a tip via the uh, the uh, point of sale or directly to the waiter and maybe uh, you know validate some assumptions whether it's more comfortable for people or if they leave bigger tips if it's uh, if it's uh, via the not the, well not, not with the pressure of the waiter standing on top of you things like that are are not technical they're product assumptions sometimes even business assumptions about the uh, the transactions and things like that and that's ultimately yet another signal they use uh, our our product but regardless of the product that you use the the essence is that this is the type of observability that is needed it's essential for a SaaS to actually validate assumptions and be able to pivot and, and adjust and, and move fast so how, how do you see that yeah so so it's a great point because yeah observability had uh, many many Uh, stakeholders right so yeah product has the product might have uh, interest he will sure would not have interest in the developer logs in logs.io but the support case, support uh, customer support has basically these these need for these logs um and you know it's like the developer is we call it the sync for all of them uh, because he needs to basically you distribute all the logs all the relevant key factors all the relevant data to all of the these different tools um, but eventually there, there as you mentioned there, there are different stakeholders uh, as, and one of the one of the most fascinating uh, problem that we see today in, in in PLG in the PLG world is how do we how do we identify uh, so you know in 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 marketing there is the marketing qualified lead and the product uh, the product qualified lead yeah. uh, so what is the engagement level that is required from a customer or potential lead from being a product qualified lead and it can be different so so you know if you ship all the data from the API from the product what what so each product manager can basically dis- decide what is the, what is the factor of That makes this user this account a product qualified lead there could be an engagement with a product for I don't know uh, three apis a day for five consecutive days um, the developer needs to distribute all of them but but the decision shouldn't be part of the developer work it should be uh, I don't know some ETL that runs in the background and and makes these decisions so so you understand that you Basically, we wanted to to move fast uh, and we wanted to build a great product 
and and get a great go to market but once we once we we move away uh, from the code and start migrating to a business wise decisions the developer needs to be there and he needs yeah. to make sure that all of all of the metrics are going outside uh, and and you know from from based on my experience these quantities will change they will change so today it might be five consecutive uh, days of apis Uh, and tomorrow I say, well, it's not a good metric. Let's do three days. Uh, and you don't want to change the code. You want to make yeah. sure that, uh, because you want to make sure that you have all the history. Um, and 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 it's it's funny because what interests the developer in, in, in most of the cases, because he needs to debug issues, he needs to make sure that his code, his code is rock solid, would be... Um, errors in logzio would be i don't know for the front end guys error in tools like sentry or that kind of stuff uh, that he wants to make sure that what what exactly is breaking uh, and and the data needs to just pipe into there and let's let's have the bi analyst uh, uh, work on the data and make sure who is product qualified lead and who is not and this is really really important in the in in the world of plg because You are opening everything uh, and you want to make sure that you know all the time what what exactly where where is the key point that the customer make goes from a free model to a pay model yeah and also that that's on the on the initial onboarding and obviously afterwards uh, you can look at in any launch of a, of a, of a feature as, as a mini product in its own right so launching a new feature usually for example in our case, We define the uh, the events that are uh, relevant and obviously how they map what are the major KPIs how these map to the master you know the North Star KPI like the uh, in uh, wapu the weekly active paying users for instance and then uh, derive the the feature specific APIs and then with that define which events we need to track and then we build a, a whole dashboard for just the launch of that feature. To track the uh, the uh, onboarding of that so I'm saying each feature is, is like a microcosmos of, of a launch of, of, a, of a mini product so uh, uh, so the, it's uh, in a lot smaller scale but the same thing so uh, and, and we as you said uh, one of the things that we found essential uh, by the way not in many other past companies that I worked with I had this luxury but here we have uh, in, my, in my current company we have actually a BI uh, analyst that can actually support that so uh, and they're the masters of data they can help us you Uh, better understand um, first of all validate even that this is the right feature that we need to do because uh, they can assess for example how many people actually approach that area of the product because this mm-hmm. is sort of total addressable market for that feature people actually get exposed to that feature and they can uh, assess the uh, the correlation to the to the master kpis of the product and afterwards they obviously they they, they help build the, uh, the the launch dashboard afterwards there's an ongoing dashboard that is even you different because it's more aggregated um, so I, I I definitely see that uh, that happening um, you mentioned several tooling that uh, that uh, you you threw maybe we can uh, talk because uh, not not everyone knows all the names that you dropped so maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, the main dropping yeah. your recommended stack for uh, for observability in the greatest yeah so, so if we start from the front end uh, side so we rely heavily on sentry and Sentry collects is a great uh, tool for collecting uh, front-end related uh, issues um, to track where issues happens on uh, 
different browsers, different locations, uh, and even even including the stack trace for that specific issue. Um, so you can even co even connect your CI/CD into it, and then uh, if something breaks after you deploy the change, Sentry can alert and and say, well, this change broke uh, all of your customers, so let's revert it. Let's revert it. Uh, and then when you go to the, so that's on the front end side. Obviously, on the product analytics, we use uh, Mixpanel and Heap uh, to collect data from uh, from everything that happens on our, our front end side, uh, as well as recorded sessions for uh, internal use that we learn from. We learn a lot from uh, seeing how users are playing around with our uh, platform. So we use a great tool called SmartLook. Uh, which basically records sessions and 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 even knows a little bit how to uh, show where errors are happening uh, and what errors are repetitive when, on the recorded sessions. And then when you, you use Hotjar for that, it's a similar yeah, yeah, yeah. domain, but uh, same. And also on the mix panel, you said mix panel. We use uh, amplitude, but again, ultimately, it's it's the same uh, stacks for the. Uh, by exactly. the way, the stack that you chose is that also the best practice that you see out there in the industry? Just wondering, aggregating across also your customers and your SaaS customers. What do you see as the common uh, solutions there? Yeah. So so. We hear a lot of uh, so I'll say 50/50 on uh, on a mix panel and amplitude. Sentry uh, is definitely uh, used across the board uh, uh, for front end. Uh, so yeah, most most of the the most of the customers that do collect uh, uh, front end uh, uh, errors, yeah, uh, they'll use Sentry. Uh, Not all of them does, but but uh, if you do so, probably you're gonna use Sentry. And in terms of, of backend, so we obviously use uh, Prometheus and Grafana uh, internally to, to collect everything that happens on the cluster. Um, for the developer logs, we use Logs.io uh, as our, uh, and now uh, we add a distributed tracing as well uh, on top of Jaeger uh, to collect uh, basically what happens on on the developer side. And th this is where it gets interesting because on top of Logs.io, we have an Ops Genie, uh, which alerts the developer on call if something is wrong. Um, so the infrastructure basically plays uh, plays nicely together. Um, and that's, uh, that's basically what I see across the board uh, with, uh, with this kind of tooling. Um, and and on the on the API side of of stuff, so we built around um, a, our own internal usage collection, um, um, basically infrastructure. Uh, we rely heavily on Redshift uh, to collect everything, every API that goes into the system on an account level, and this is where we we had to work really hard. Uh, to to get the account into the the APIs, uh, so we collect everything on the account level, and then we collect uh, tools for BI analysts. Sagim, uh, my uh, my co-founder, the CEO of the company, built nice uh, SQL queries around uh, around the tools like Redash and Zoho, and and uh, you know. So once you have the data, there are a bunch of stuff you can do with it.
Yeah, yeah I, I think that the rule of thumb that I can say is that if you have the data, uh, you should uh, uh, collect it. Uh, obviously, not store it in a expensive, I don't know, Athena or, or something like that. Uh, the, but at the very least, let's say, go for the cheap storage, like, I don't know, S3 or similar. Uh, but then again, making sure that you have the, the, the observability needed. And then, uh, as you said, like uh, a data warehouse type of uh, investigations. Uh, for example, we use uh, Periscope, uh, SciSense, mm -hmm. for, for analyzing uh, you know, traditional BI tools that um, can allow you beyond the, uh, the, as we said, beyond the IT monitoring, when you need to uh, correlate and, and uh, cross-reference so many different signals, uh, that's uh, a data analytics problem. Um, yeah, one thing I want to add. One thing I want to add on this. So, yeah, it's a data analytics problem, but you know, at the end of the day, we are, you know, each company works as a unit. So, so the needs always go to the developers. But once the developers understand what is the reason for them to do, I don't know, to add another ETL which sends back. Um, I don't know, the, the the user or the account status back to HubSpot or that kind of stuff. Uh, once once the developer, you know, we explain the, the actual business value that such process gives, gives us. Uh, so the, we see that they are extremely dedicated because it's because at the end of the day, this is this is the, the engine of, of any startup engaging yeah. with the customers, move them up in the funnel. Uh, and even if they are staying on a freemium, you know, uh, I gave I gave myself as a great example. I stayed six months on the freemium model, okay, until I really, you know, we grew, and and it was really generous. But once we grew, I, I was certain that I'm not moving anywhere. I'm gonna start paying, and you know, that's so. If you, this is the nice thing about PLG. Eventually. Uh, if you if you stick there enough and you you'll see the the growth of of your customers they'll go with you and as you said uh, measuring that and being able to understand what really brings them value and what makes them uh, grow their usage adopt more uh, more functionality and go beyond the, maybe the community edition into a, a, an enterprise edition or commercial edition and that's where observability gives you the sense of what is the journey of these customers and which customers actually need more and you can help them and which customers maybe will probably be satisfied with the community edition for for quite some time so um, um one of the things that uh fascinate me is the topic of correlation because we have so many data sources and so many different types of signals coming from different systems and one of the things to build the picture is the ability to correlate these different signals because the signal is the raw data but correlating the different signals to draw the insights and to realize that this i don't know signal from amplitude and from the ui correlated with some backend api usage correlated with maybe even some performance uh, aspect in the in the in the product then translates to uh, a certain experience uh, this is a challenge so i'm wondering how, what are your recommendations in correlating the different uh, data signals so th this is a this is a real challenge uh, right so i i did mention that uh, in Frontech, we are correlating based on uh, organizations or based on account IDs uh, that correlates basically the entire the environments and that kind of stuff. Um, and and we had to build basically the 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 infrastructure that would help us. Uh, so we have a, for example, we have a header 
that represents the, the account ID, mm -hmm. we call it a vendor, uh, that runs through the system in every given time. So even if it comes from the UI, it comes from an API, wherever it comes from, we know basically how to attach this header and 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 basically it goes all the way to the to the redshift and to the and to the data pipelines. There are, uh, if you if you want to take a look at some, you know, some of the industry best practice on how to collect uh, in a single API, how to collect all of uh, all of the data and to sync it basically to to different tools and maybe in some of the cases to to transform it, um, Segment, uh, which is now uh, belongs to Twilio, uh, does a great job on on such uh, use cases uh, in terms of uh, collecting the data. Make sure that your API is, is you know you have a single API to send the data to to Segment, and then you leave it to to. You don't you, you want to say a few words just maybe on Segment for the audience who doesn't know the, the product? Yeah, so Segment is a great, uh, uh, they call it the uh, customer uh, data uh, platform, uh, CDP. Uh, and, and the idea is that you have a single API to Segment to send all of the data, whether you're sending it from the backend, whether you're sending it from the front end, Whatever tool that you are using, you have a single API to segment. And then on segment, you can add what they call uh, data adapters. And then you basically can, upon receiving of this data, segment basically takes it, pipes it, and, and moves it to, to the different tools in terms of Redshift, uh, Snowflake. Uh, they, they have many, many connectors, SQS. Um, they have so many connectors. You 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 don't you didn't even think that there are so many. Um, and then the idea is that your your API should not change if you want to add another connector to Segment. So that's another way of doing collecting all of the data and even transforming it uh, on top of Segment. The, the 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 downside of it is that you kind of lose control on on the flows because you you are you are now dependent on on another tool. So yeah. we we did it internally. Yeah. Um, and another question that comes uh, often uh, in these discussions is uh, the challenge of persisting the data, both in terms of uh, costs and uh, in terms of uh, different solutions that you have. Uh, how do you uh, approach the persistence of the telemetry data that you collect? Yeah. So. Normally we wanna we wanna split what I call hot data and cold data. So once data turns cold, I don't know. Let's say um, observability from three months old, we can throw and put. Uh, we never delete anything, but we can throw and put on uh, on S3, which is pretty cheap. You can put you, you can store terabytes and petabytes of data relatively cheap uh, on S3. Um, and and you know you always analyze. Uh, I don't know. Last three months you analyze. You call it the hot data. You 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 pass it through ETLs and you put it on on a translatable tables, uh, ready to use by BIs, ready to use by CEOs who want to collect uh, collect uh, visualization tools into it. Um, but but 
we never we never delete anything because I don't know we, we might want to use it uh, to see how the past year compare comparing to the year before uh, how the feature were adapted uh, so so you know if we put if we put it in s3 and then just load it into because we don't we don't care how much time it's gonna run uh, so just load it analyze it put it back in s3 uh, all works uh, sounds good. So uh, just to wrap up, we're uh, soon going to uh, run out of time, but do you have any um, best practices and tips that you would like to uh, give from uh, from front-end, again, also from your experience across your uh, dozens of customers and what it would be? Uh, both you, We mentioned some tooling and some practices, but if you to aggregate maybe a startup that is now uh, starting or a company that is now growing beyond the, the one, one server thing, uh, what would be your recommendation around the SaaS observability? Yeah, so in terms of, so first collect everything that you can. There are great tooling out there. Uh, we mentioned some of them here, but there are great tooling out there uh, to collect as much data uh, as you can because it's going to help your business grow, um, which is basically, even if you have developer or uh, basically that's, that's the joint effort of everyone. Uh, so collect as much data as you can and, and, and fail fast, that will help you fail fast because if something is not working, the data will tell you that something is not working. So that's like the, the number one tip. Uh, it took us a while to adapt, uh, but today in the in the Go, uh, in the PLG world, you wanna collect as much data as you can, analyze it as, as fast as you can and, and understand what, what exactly is not working and, 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 and basically change change on the fly. Uh, and and on terms of um, of tooling and and on the developer experience, use as many tooling as you can. Uh, there are, there are some that does everything on one on one hand. Uh, there are some which known as a market a market standard for uh, logs or market standard for uh, for product analytics. Use them and use them wisely because it, it will help you um, basically grow. Yeah. Uh, sounds good. I, I would also suggest um, in terms of the, the tooling, you mentioned lots of tooling. I One of the things that I found uh, is that also an important criteria would be the ease of uh, uh, migration and, and ramp up. For example, uh, we, we went with, as I mentioned, Periscope Sysense, which is based on SQL queries. Uh, which you know, each everyone knows SQL, so it was easy. Uh, and if you compare it to, uh, I don't know, very common, very popular uh, products such as I don't know, Tableau or uh, ClickView or uh, I know Power BI that you need to construct that on top of the their own product and it's proprietary. Then it's very easy if you need, if, very difficult. Sorry, if you now need to migrate to another tool, and also of course uh, it's it's not necessarily a common knowledge, unlike S SQL qu querying. Uh, so uh, much easier ramp up on SQL versus when you need to uh, teach someone a, a new employee uh, Tableau proprietary stuff or or ClickView or others. So that's one thing I think about you know a vendor lock-in or ease of uh, migration or, or uh, and also in terms of skill set. And and the other one uh, that uh, I can add from from our experience is that we uh, connect everything to version control. 
we put everything or oh, oh, everything is documented the the etls the databases the the, the bi everything is is tracked so that uh, we have um a very easy way to uh, track the, the changes. And, you know, if you need to make a, a change in some a table, a schema, a column, I don't know what, you can immediately see the impact. Uh, so that's, I would add uh, another, uh, another uh, maybe a couple of tips from, from my Great tips. Uh, anyway, thank you very much, uh, Avia. That was a fascinating discussion and a topic that uh, we should. We, I should go, go back to uh, earlier. Maybe it's my my own past as a as a product manager in in past uh, lives that I, I I think that delving too much into the the IT part uh, is is, is uh, also not not good. We need to also keep the the broader focus of the company, and uh, some of that is enabled. Is, is it crucial for engineers to serve the internal uh, customers, the internal users, if it's BI team, if it's the product managers, if it's even the, the senior management that needs to get visibility to, to steer and to, to tune. Uh, so it is a central part of our role as engineers to also remember that in addition to the end users, we also have the internal users that help us uh, steer this boat and move fast and agile. Um, and with that, I would like to invite you to uh, join me for the next uh, part, which is uh, the breaking news. And today, uh, going uh, over, uh, I, I mentioned before on our talk, but I wanted to uh, mention that again here on the news. Uh, last month, we had uh, AWS outages, actually, I think three, if I remember correctly, in a very short period of time that took down many uh, SaaS businesses uh, such as uh, Slack, Hulu, Udemy, uh, Asana, Coinbase. There's a, a lot of a long list of uh, uh, SaaS companies being impacted. And I think, you know, it's not the first time. And I think the first time I wrote about it in my own personal blog was uh, maybe uh, almost 10 years ago. So uh, it's not new, but still I, I see many organizations left exposed in these cases. And I think it's very important to use these opportunities to uh, uh, freshen up and, and uh, reiterate the uh, best practices and guidelines for business continuity and for disaster recovery, uh, uh, things like uh, design for failure, uh, stateless and autonomous services, uh, redundant hot copies uh, spread across zones. You mentioned that you also do that in, in Frontag, uh, maybe even multi-region and, and multi-cloud when, when they, they, it calls for that. Um, and uh, very relevant, obviously, for, for, for this uh, specific podcast is also automation and monitoring. The ability to detect quickly and maybe to respond, even auto automatic uh, remediation as much as possible. Uh, I, I wrote also a, a, an article about that that I will share on the, on the show notes, but uh, maybe uh, you can share your, your two cents on that. Yes. Yeah, so were you impacted? I'm just curious to hear uh, your your own personal experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were impacted. We were impacted by uh, the US East uh, fellow uh, outage, uh, yeah. the last one that uh, the, our Kafka basically stopped uh, stopped responding, and uh, it basically caused some uh, some you know uh, some waves in the in the cluster. Um, so yeah. Uh, the nice thing about it is that we were um, we knew exactly when it was happening. Uh, we have so many monitoring. One we are using uh, so many monitoring, different monitoring, because if one fails, uh, we want to make sure that. Uh, and we knew when it happens, and then we started, you know, working as a playbook. So I think one of one of the great uh, 
Uh, one of the great tips around it is have a, have a playbook ready uh, and drills. If you do drills, okay, you'll be you'll be prepared when it happens. And you know, when it happens, it happens. Like everyone are affected, uh, but uh, your ability to recover fast is crucial for uh, for your business continuity. Exactly. Uh, good, good summary of the, the main points. Uh, you can't avoid it, but you can uh, automate and remediate, detect and remediate quickly. Yeah. And that's, that's the power of... Try to recover as fast as you can, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and another uh, major uh, item on the news uh, in the past month was uh, the uh, Log4j uh, uh, CV, <laughs> the vulnerability. Actually, turned out to be three different vulnerabilities. So as soon as the one was patched, uh, people immediately come to uh, realize the second one and then the third one. <laughs> Uh, and it, it was a high profile one. It was like ranked, uh, you know, top uh, 10 uh, in, in the ranking. It's a zero day exploit that can uh, actually uh, give remote code execution uh, access. People can actually have full server control over your uh, company. And that's, that's Log4j that's been around for, uh, I don't know how long. And years of, uh, yeah, many years. Uh, virtually everywhere there. Uh, so it's painful for the industry and a pain, painful lesson for, for all of us to, uh, to see. A um, lot, lot has been written about that. I will share uh, the, the link to uh, Apache's uh, dedicated uh, security page uh, specifying the, the CVEs and, uh, and the remediation. But the call to action for everyone who hasn't been, uh, you know, uh, people who celebrated the, the New Year's and weren't uh, aware, the mitigation is simply to update, to upgrade to the latest Log4j2. So, it's a 2.3.2 for Java 6. It's 2.12.4 for Java 7 and 2.17.1 for Java 8 and, uh, and later. Uh, and uh, do go and read about that. And maybe the, the bright side of that was showing us how the massive success of Log4j by the, the extent of the, of the hit. Uh, you know, read by two volunteering uh, open source enthusiasts <laughs> and uh, maybe this will give some more uh, 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 money, more funding and more people to get involved and, and, uh, and uh, back up the Log4j. Um, any, any thoughts on that from, from your end? Uh, what fascinated me about the Log4j is, you know, even if your code is not, um, you know, we, were not, we are not working with Java. But, you know, it hit us uh, because AWS had, we are using MSK, which is uh, Kafka, the managed Kafka. Yeah. So Kafka is implemented with Java. And then you have Nginx. And then, you, you know, so you, you had to, basically, we had to, what we call the dependency, the nested dependencies. Yeah, an you inventory are. <laughs> count, an inventory count of all of the tools that we are using, if we, even if we are not using Java. Uh, if we're using any tool that is using Java, uh, Kafka, I don't know, MySQL, we had to go to MySQL and see how MySQL was implemented. And, and you know, it, it opened up. Um, it was as critical as, uh, as, as you can imagine, yeah. Yeah, even us, you know, we, we, we are Java based on the backend, but we actually went for logback rather than log4j. So we weren't yeah. uh, directly impacted. But as you said, you suddenly find the dependency nested somewhere within your uh, platform that you need to address and need to patch. And it's, uh, it's, it's an important lesson for all of us. Um, yeah, for us, it's uh, nice to see. I mean, in, in the web application firewall, the number of requests we are getting for uh, log4j <laughs> headers, it's like, it's like ninety percent of uh, of uh, of the traffic. Uh, some uh, it's it's funny. 
But then again, it shows the power of open source on the one hand and the extent of usage of popular yes. open source tools. On the other hand, it makes us realize as a community, as an industry and as a community that we need to invest to make sure that these are production ready, uh, that we back them, you know, having uh, one or two developers, uh, uh, you know, maintaining uh, one of the, the world's most extensive open sources. It doesn't make sense. We need to make sure that vendors back it, vendors get involved. Uh, and, and there is a way to maintain it and to get it to the place where it's it's uh, solid, rock solid as much as possible for production uh, grade. We saw also something around that with uh, Node.js developers uh, taking down a couple of uh, libraries fake, uh, in protest. Faker and yeah. Colo, yeah. Faker and Colo. So uh, also fresh uh, off, the, off the news. So I, I definitely understand his frustration, uh, having maintained that single-handedly and... Uh, seeing no no backing i'm not sure if the the means to uh, to make his point is the one that i would have taken but the point nonetheless is that we as a community need to realize that the the assets that we use are not coming out of thin air they're, they're actually uh, there's a community behind it sometimes uh, you know one or two even maintainers doing the whole work and uh, and we need to make sure that we're we're there behind them to to back it up so uh, that, that's an important lesson at least for me as, a, as an open source enthusiast um I think that's uh, all we have uh, for uh, for today's uh, uh, episode. Uh, but I wanted to thank you again, Aviad, for uh, joining me on this uh, on this episode. Thank you. And I'd like to obviously thank our uh, listeners for joining in, whether on the uh, live stream uh, or on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, uh, if you are listening to us on the podcast, do uh, know that we are brought us, uh, brought us in live streaming the episode, so you can join the episodes to ask your own uh, questions and comments and uh, and uh, do that. You can also follow us um, uh, on uh, uh, Twitter at Open Observe uh, for updates and to share your comments and suggestions and news bits. Um, you can find all the episodes on all the favorite podcast apps uh, as well as uh, on YouTube. And uh, I'm uh, Dotan Horvitz, and thank you very much for listening. And on the uh, next month's episode, we're going to have uh, Suman, who is going to share with us uh, some of his experience around uh, high-scale, web-scale companies, uh, so, uh, and how he actually built homegrown, scalable uh, uh, solutions for observability. So do uh, join in for next month's episode. Thank you very much for listening, and see you next month. 